Hey, this is Graham, and I am so pumped you're joining us today. If you're a part of our Grace community, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you on social media, at the Grace AG on all social outlets. But the best way to connect is to join our online community at live.graceassembly.org. Here, you can engage and connect with other Grace members all around the world. So, we hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Let's jump right in. And thank you, Grace, for allowing me to come and be a part of this today. I've had such a great time with Wayne and Tracy and getting to know them and uh, to talk today about stronger families. What does that look like? What does that mean? And maybe you're sitting here, and when we say the word family, you have mixed emotions just with that word because you're not even sure when you hear that word, what that means. Maybe that word actually is a positive idea in your world and life, maybe it's a negative, maybe there's something in your past that causes you to be discouraged with the word family, or maybe there's an awful lot of energy and hope when you think about the word family. I don't know what you think about when you think about the concept of family. And there's this idea of becoming a stronger family. Now, again, when I say that, I have mixed emotions because there are moments in my life when I go, I have no idea if that's even possible. When I look at a situation or I'm in the middle of a circumstance, I'm like, you want me to get better at this? You want me to get stronger at this? And it might be that you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, as a teenager or as an older adult or just as someone who slipped into this room, how is this going to actually be helpful for me? But before this is over, I just wanna give you one, one idea, one secret that I think would change the way potentially that you see yourself and you see your family. But I need to explain something too. Um, sometimes when I get introduced, I feel pressure because I'm supposed to be a leading expert and I am not um, an expert on these issues. As a matter of fact, if I were to go back into the stories of my parenting and my life, I've got plenty of stories to prove that I am an extremely human parent. I have this one moment when my oldest daughter was two and we had gone to Merritt Island, Florida to actually pursue a position at a church there. And I don't know how it works in, in your world, uh, Pastor Wayne, but in this particular denomination, here's what happens. You go, you speak on the platform, you go out the door, the church votes on whether or not you get to come on staff. There are always about five or 10% of the people that vote against you. You never know who they are. You end up in that church wondering who they might be, but you know you're kind of on display. And I actually walked out the door. They voted for me to be a pastor there. I picked a restaurant, not knowing it, Jungle Gyms, right around the corner to sit with my family to wait on the news of whether or not I had become a pastor in this church. And as I'm sitting in this restaurant with my two-year-old and my four-year-old in this table, what I did not know is that is the restaurant where most of the people of the first church in this town actually show up to eat. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you feel this way, Allison, but sometimes when you're in ministry and you got a kid, you think everybody's kind of watching you to see if you're spiritual enough or what it looks like. And I'm sitting in this restaurant and my two-year-old daughter sees this orange Fanta drink that's in front of her and she decides she wants to start making designs on the tablecloth 
And she starts sprinkling you know, this drink and making these colors all over the table. And Debbie, my wife, is trying to get her to kind of calm down a little bit. But she's getting more excited and she's not responding to Debbie. And I feel the pressure of the eyes looking at me and everybody's watching. And now you gotta remember, I was a 20-something-year-old parent. I know what I said is something I shouldn't have said. I don't know why I said it. I was trying to guard my reputation as the new family minister in this church and in this town with all these people watching me. But I looked over at Hannah, this two-year-old daughter of mine, and I said, if you touch that again, you're gonna die. <laughs> well, she just immediately took her hand and looked me dead in the eye and knocked the glass over. So I walked around the table, I picked her up, and I'm walking through the congregation that had just voted on me to be the pastor, as she's screaming at the top of her lungs, Daddy, please don't kill me. Daddy, please don't kill me. And then she laid her head on my shoulder, and the whole crowd went, aw. I'm just saying, we don't always get it right. And this is complicated stuff. And sometimes your pictures actually don't work out the way you imagined them when you think about your parenting or you think about your family. That's actually the first thing I want to say. Somewhere along the way, you developed a picture of what you think family should look like. I don't know where you got your picture. I don't know if it was a pastor on a Sunday morning who preached a message. I don't know if it was a little house on the prairie and watching that series. I don't know. Maybe somewhere in your mind, you decided this is what family's supposed to look like. This is how we do family. This is the picture of what a family is supposed to be. And all of a sudden, along the way, we recognize that maybe what we thought our picture of family was going to be isn't exactly what it is. And we face this reality that it's shifting around us. And I have this moment in time when I was riding down the road in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was looking up at the billboards, and I saw a picture of this family. And as soon as I saw the picture of this family on a church advertisement, I thought, I know that family. It's so interesting. They had the family there on their billboard, and it said, we are a, a family-friendly church. And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm going, I know I know them. And then all of a sudden, it dawns on me. The picture that they had on their billboard is the same picture that I had seen in frames in Barnes & Noble. It was the same picture I had seen on an advertisement for travel and vacation. Actually, it was this picture right here. It's the Stock family. And any of you can also use this picture for any promotion or any advertisement that you want to use if you pay the right amount of money because you can buy this picture and use it to promote whatever you want to promote. And I'm riding down the road and I'm looking at this picture and I'm thinking, this, this picture doesn't even tell the real story of what is actually going on because for all we know, these are actors, right, that were put together to frame a picture so they could sell it to promote something. Or if it's a real family this picture, like your family, doesn't really describe what's really going on in their world and life. What happened right before this picture? What happened right after this picture? We have no idea, do we? I mean, for all we know, this is Jim Stock, and he's got so much debt going on, he's in trouble, and his wife doesn't know about his debt, and she's a pharmaceutical rep, and she's... I don't know, a little addicted to Ambien, and then there's little Julie here 
little Julie who's caught pulling the heads off Barbie dolls. And then, you know, you've got little Jimmy and Jimmy's kind of a little bit, little bit of a bully. And so we don't, we don't know, do we? We don't know the story of what's going on with this family. And the thing is, we, we are notorious for holding up pictures and saying, if you want to be the kind of family you should be, then show up and become this, and we will help you become this, and this is what a good family looks like. And here's the truth. The truth is that only 23.5% of families in our country are represented by a husband and wife who live with their own biological children. So when you start thinking about families in your community and families around your world, they don't look like this. As a matter of fact, there are people riding down the road, if they were to see this billboard and see this family, they would think, I'm not sure I can come to your church because guess what? I'm not sure I can ever be that. There's no way that is going to be the picture. And, and if this is the picture of family and something happens to your family while you're at a church, you may have to decide in your own mind, well, I can't live up to that, so I can't be here anymore. We come into this world and into our marriages with this picture that we have of what family should be like. And here's the problem. If you hold too tightly to an ideal picture, you set yourself up to become disillusioned. I know you know this. I love to talk to teenagers about this because they're moving toward relationships one day and some of them are gonna have their own families and sometimes the pictures they walk into those relationships with can set them up to get disillusioned if they're not careful. Just like many of us, and I'm looking around the room and I see a little bit of gray white hair here, and I know that some of us got into our marriages and got into our relationships with an idea of what we thought it should look like and we immediately did the thing that we naturally do. We had our picture, right? And we tried to get our spouse to conform to the image of our picture. We wanted to change them to be more like what we thought our picture should be. And it's not that, you know, I thought I was perfect, I just thought my picture was more perfect than her picture. And so my job was to get her to become more like what my picture should be, and we know that doesn't work, because we know over time what happens is that tension, that stress, that change sets all of us up to give up if we can't measure up to each other's pictures. And that's why what you've been talking about in the last few weeks is so important because it's not our calling to change each other, to conform each other to the image of our idea, it's our job to love each other, and that's an entirely different thing. Somewhere in the context of what we do, we've gotta recognize that if we hold too tightly to our pictures, we set ourselves up for disillusionment. Because there's this expectation here, there's reality that hits here, and the distance between those two does something to our heart that we can't explain and we, over time, just get discouraged. And now I know what some of you are thinking. You're here on a Sunday morning. Aren't you going to talk about the Bible? Glad you brought that up. Because every once in a while, someone will say, well, you're absolutely right. We need to get back to what the Bible says and what the Bible models for family. So I thought I would go there for just a second and just kind of explain that to you because Scripture never really gives us a picture of a model family. Now, there are some principles in the New Testament about how family can work and should work, but as far as a model, let's just have a little bit of a Sunday school lesson for just a second, because when I go back to my Sunday school days and I start thinking about the families in the Bible, it all starts with this one, right, Adam and Eve? I mean, 
the husband blamed the wife and there was a problem and it got really out of control. They had two sons, one killed the other. It's not exactly a model family for you and me. As a matter of fact, your dysfunction and my dysfunction kind of started right here. So let's kind of get rid of that one. Okay, oh, then there's, there's Noah, right? Noah, you know, he was the one who built the ark and, and rescued the people. And then there was that moment, and I, I hope you know the rest of the story, where he ended up in a cave. Since you're talking about a cave next week, he ended up in a cave in an inappropriate position, and he got drunk, and it just not the exact model of family that we should have, so not a perfect picture of what family should look like. Oh, oh, and then there's, I love this one, um, Jacob and Esau, right? Kind of a conniving mom and a, a naive father, and one stole the birthright from the other one. It was a sibling rivalry that lasted for a lifetime. Not exactly the perfect picture of family. Oh, oh, and then there's Joseph and his loving brothers. Remember that story? Remember, they sold him into slavery? I mean, come on. Okay, and then there's the idea of Goliath and David. I mean, David, he killed Goliath. We talk about his courage. We kind of, you know, skim over the part of Bathsheba and all the issues that happened in his family. I mean, it starts getting messy when you start looking at the models of family in the Bible. And oh, and then there's the, you know, one we can maybe put a little hope in. There's Mary and Joseph and you know, at least they had Jesus and raised the Son of God, but we forget to talk about the part where they forgot him for three days and left him at church. I mean, social services would have arrested him and taken him away. I mean, if you think about that. Here's the point. When I read about the, the families in the Bible, I feel better about mine. I mean, somewhere along the way, we've got to understand something when it comes to the story and the arc of Scripture and what God is trying to convince all of us about related to family and related to what it means to have these kind of relationships and what he's really up to that's bigger than what we can ever imagine. And here's the point I kind of want you to get and understand for just a second. God doesn't use perfect pictures. He uses real people. When I think about the families I know and I think about their stories... It's so interesting to me in the work that I get to do. I get to hang out with churches and I get to hang out with families. And I don't know why God has designed it this way, but it's kind of genius, actually. You know, your church is something that's unique and amazing in a culture. I love what is happening here. Every community needs a church like this. But here's the truth about your church. If you and I sat down at a table with each other and we had a conversation where we got to know each other, and we did what we say in North Georgia, we backed up our truck and dumped it. And you told me about your mess, and I told you about my mess, and I told you about my stories, and you told me about your stories. We might even disqualify each other from coming to this church. But I love the name of the church, Grace, because here's the truth, right? God comes along and God picks you and God picks you and God picks you and God picks you regardless of your story, regardless of the mess, regardless of the brokenness, regardless of the dysfunction and God puts us together to do something with us together that can't be explained so that the world watching what happens in here between you in this context will change their mind about who God is. And have you ever stopped to think that God does the same thing with family? That your family is actually a platform for God to demonstrate something that is very, very important for a world to see. 
when it comes to his restoration and his redemption. Regardless of what the pictures are that haven't worked out in your family, I'm only here today to remind you of a simple idea. That God's desire is to work through every family to demonstrate his story of restoration and redemption. Every family. This is, this is so important because somewhere along the way we forget that there are families around us that don't look like each other and that God is up to something that's bigger than any of us can ever imagine because he wants to demonstrate through our churches and through our families and through our dysfunction and through our stories that there is a story of restoration and a story of redemption that he's inviting us to be a part of. That is an invitation of magnitude that we need to offer a generation who's watching us. Several years ago, a pastor friend of mine who lives in Canada and I wrote a book called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. And we're two pastors, let me just say it specifically. We're two, we were two middle-aged white pastors and uh, who had you know, our pictures of family. And we wrote the book, the manuscript, and I decided before we actually went to publishing that I would send the manuscript around to a lot of other families that were friends of mine, that were real families whose story didn't look like ours. I said, yeah, we just wrote this book. I'd love for you to give us your feedback. What do you think? And I remember this one single mom took that to heart and she sent me back my manuscript, redlined all the way through and said, but what about, but what if, but how can, all the way through this book. We were only a couple of weeks away from publication. I called the publisher and I said, we can't write the book yet, we've got to start over. I called the author who was writing it with me and I said, I wrote down a statement today and I want to start over writing this book based on this statement. Here's what I wrote. God is at work telling a story of restoration and redemption through your family. Never buy into the myth that you need to become the right kind of parent before God can use you in your children's lives. Instead, learn to cooperate with whatever God desires to do in your heart today so your children will have a front row seat to the grace and goodness of God. There's a secret to a stronger family. I'm gonna give you the secret. And it's gonna require a shift. It's gonna require a change. It's gonna require you deciding to look at something maybe in a different way in this moment in time for the sake of your children, for the sake of your family, for the sake of the people you go to church with, for the sake of your friends. And when I give you this secret, I want you to walk away and talk about it and think about it and wrestle with it. Because it could make the difference in how you engage with each other. It could make the difference in how you see God in the context of your family. And here's the secret. Families don't need a bigger picture, they need a bigger story. They don't need a better picture. They need a bigger story. Because here's the truth. Whatever picture you arrange, whatever picture you decide, whatever picture somehow you form in your mind, their chances are that picture will not become a reality. And when your pictures don't work out, where are you left? There's a difference in having a bigger 
picture mindset or a better picture mindset and a bigger story mindset. And what you get to be a part of in the context of this faith that you're asked to be a part of is a bigger story idea. There are two different approaches here. This is what I don't want you to miss. A better picture approach and a bigger story approach. The better picture approach, trust me, can shut you down. It can paralyze you emotionally when your pictures don't work out. It can close a door for those who can't measure up to your picture. It's the reason some people may never come to a church. It's the reason some people may leave a church because they can't get back to that. <laughs> but a bigger story? Oh my goodness. It's different. It connects you to something bigger than your picture. It opens the door for everyone in this room to play a part. It's full of possibilities. The bigger story approach gives you hope. It can ignite faith. It is an invitation to something that is ongoing and that will keep going regardless of what happens. There's a shift in thinking, and if you get this shift, if you make this shift, it will change everything. It will change the way you see your family. It will change the way you see your parenting. It will change the way you see other parents in your community. Community. It will change the way your community sees your church. It will change the way this generation sees faith. Because when their pictures don't work out, when things don't happen exactly the way they thought they would happen, or not that this is ever going to happen to you, but when they figure out you're not a perfect parent, there's still a story. There's still an activity that God is up to. There's still something that you're invited to. Please don't miss this. When we talk about honor and we step into this kind of space and we honor the story that God is doing in your life and my life, it sets us up for a different kind of approach with a generation who's become disillusioned sometimes with the boxes that we put God in or the boxes we put relationships in. And there is such an invitation today for all of us to think in a different context. Please don't miss this. For the sake of your kids, you gotta get this right. You know why? Because they don't know what's around the next corner. They don't know what part of their picture isn't going to work out. And if it's all about the picture, right? If it's all about it working out the way that we think it should work out and it looks exactly the way we somehow imagined it for them and it doesn't become that, then they're left with this idea of deconstructing their faith or walking away or going somewhere else. And for the sake of the faith of a generation, we have to invite them into something that's much bigger than a better picture. It's so important to think in terms of what that looks like. And you know what else? For the sake of your faith, we gotta get this right. I'm gonna be honest for just a second with those of you who are my age. Some of us have had our faith rocked because our pictures didn't work out and our identity was wrapped up in a picture. And the invitation today is to stop thinking about your pictures and start thinking about the bigger story. Some of us are here and we're going through the motions because we lost hope and we've given up on what God really wants to continue to write and tell in our lives and what the grace of God can continue to invite us into because we were so caught up in the picture of what we thought it should look like. I had this interesting moment that happened in my world 
several years ago when one of our staff had their firstborn child. And the story is kind of interesting because this couple who works on our staff had had some interesting things that had happened in their family. As a matter of fact, the wife, his mother and father had gone through a divorce when she was in middle school. They had not spoken for over a decade. And the mother actually remarried the ex-husband's boss. And they came to me with this request. They said, we can't have the typical baby dedication at a church because my dad's not gonna come to church. And we're just wondering, could we do it in a small setting in a living room, and you can kind of lead us through a baby dedication. Well, I'm, at the time, you know, there's, there's th times when you go, yeah, that's a great idea, we can do that, and then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, what have I just done? Because the day of the baby dedication, they all started showing up, and this husband who hadn't spoken to his wife, his ex-husband had spoken to his wife in over a decade and had not really had a conversation with his kids about God and church, and he's sitting in the room with his former boss, with his wife, ex-wife with his daughters, with the son-in-laws, with this brand new baby. And, I'm, and I could, you could cut the air with a knife. I mean, it, it was so tense. And I'm sitting there with this intimate group of people thinking, how are we gonna navigate through this? And I'm trying to lighten it up. I'm trying to say, hey, what's something fun that you remember about your kids? It's funny, I'm trying to, you know, and it's just not working and nothing is working. And so finally, I take this little baby boy and I put him right in the center. I said, this is Sawyer. I said, I would love to hear you tell the rest of us as family members what your hope for his future is. And I mean, nobody said anything. And it was the most awkward silence I think I have ever been in until finally this ex-father who was anti-Christian, anti-church spoke up to everybody's surprise. And he led with this statement. He said, I hope Sawyer figures out some things about God in life faster than I was able to. And then he quotes a passage of scripture. And all of a sudden, everyone in this room starts getting emotional. And the floodgates, it's just, it was just surreal when I look back at it. But after we were done, I ran over to the table with the barbecue, because I, I mean, I'm an introvert, I don't even like people. So I ran over to the table, and I'm trying to navigate through this. And he follows me, this, this, this grandfather follows me over. He says, I know my daughter and son works for you, tell me what you guys do. And I said, well, you know, we do this stuff with families and churches, and this is kind of our thing and what we do. And he said, well, tell me some more about that. I said, well, we just think there's a story that everybody's kind of invited into regardless of what's happened, and I can feel him kind of tuning in. He said, nobody's ever asked me what happened to me when Cindy left me and when we got a divorce. He said, but the Thanksgiving following our family breaking up, I went back to the church that we had sat in for years. It was a Thanksgiving Sunday, and I sat right down in the same space that I had sat with my family so many years. And I listened to the pastor get up and talk about how we needed to have strong families and what it looked like and what it meant. And he said, I was sitting there holding the broken pieces of my picture that had not worked out. 
and I said, I can never be that again. This is not a place I can come. And I left, and I haven't been back in 10 years. But if what you're saying is true, if there really is a bigger story, when I look at this grandchild, I think maybe I can still be a part. Maybe there's still a role for me. Maybe there's still something I can play. Maybe just because I'm human and because I was broken and because the dysfunction happened doesn't mean there's not something else that God wants to tell with me and through me. And I want to tell you something. The powerful thing about our bigger story approach is the door is always open and there's a way back in and there's a way to do something that we can't even imagine and we can't even explain. You say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to me and what does it really mean? At the end of the day, it means that regardless of what your pictures are, there is, and whatever happens, there is a way for you to still be a part of a story that God wants to tell and continue to tell. I was in Seymour, Indiana several years ago, and a single mom came down after we were talking about this issue, and she was holding you know, a little two-year-old in a Disney princess dress, and she had to be about 21 or 22 years old, and here's what she said to me. She said, when my baby girl was born, my husband left me. And this is her statement. This isn't the picture I thought my family would look like. And I need you to tell me that she is going to be okay. I'm going to ask Steve to come out and just pray with you in just a second. But let's just be honest. Some of us have pictures. They just didn't happen exactly like we thought they would. And it was never supposed to happen to our family, right? Not my family. Nobody in my family was supposed to get divorced. Nobody in my family was supposed to get cancer. Nobody in my family was supposed to be abused. Nobody in my family was supposed to take their own life. Nobody in my family, right? Nobody in my family was supposed to lose their job or walk away or abandon faith. It wasn't supposed to happen in my family. Just don't hang on and hold on to a better picture. Shift to a bigger story. It's the youth pastor who came up to me one day and he'd lost his wife. And he said, my problem is when I look at my daughter, she looks so much like my wife and she was killed in a car accident and the pain I feel when I look at my daughter, I don't know what to do with. And he said, but I do know there's a bigger story and I need to stay engaged. It's the middle-aged man who came up to me one day and he said, you have no idea how my struggle with my dad affected my life and my relationships. And I am so angry at my father and I don't know what to do because he walked away and left me at the most critical time in my life. And I've been mad at God ever since. It's the mom. I'll never forget this. She said, I gotta go call my adult children. I said, why?
She said, because all of my life, I tried to get them to live up to my pictures and it pushed them away. And I need to text them and I need to tell them, I've let go of the pictures. I'm sorry for trying to conform you to the image of my pictures, but I want to be a part of the story because it's a bigger story. And there are countless teenagers and college students who come up to me all the time. And they say, thanks for talking about this. You know why? Because I thought my future was defined by the pictures of my family. I thought I had a limit and a lid in my life and I could never be anything else other than what I was raised to be and what happened in my family because I'll never get past that. He said, but based on what you're saying, my past doesn't have to define me and the pictures of my family don't have to define me and I can be a part of something that's so much bigger and I just needed to know that there is a bigger story and I'm invited into that. bigger or better picture approach will make you quit, make you give up when you can't measure up. But a bigger story approach will make you keep fighting and keep moving and keep pushing and keep hoping. We need a new generation of senior adults who will go, it's not about the picture, it's about the story. We need a new generation of teenagers that are growing up, regardless of what happens to your pictures, that we remember at every stage along the way. It's not about the picture, it's about the story. Because that mindset will keep you moving and keep you fighting and keep you pushing. My youngest daughter is a fireball, one of four. And I remember this one disagreement we were having very loudly upstairs in her bedroom years ago when she was in middle school. And it's just one of those moments when, you know, you're, you're trying to debate with someone who's extremely verbal and she's extremely verbal, extremely good at arguing. She was winning. And then when I tried to step back in a debate, because sometimes we think it's winning the argument that's the goal, she took a verbal shot at me. I never imagined in the pictures of my family, one of my own children would say to me, and I got my feelings hurt. And I did what any reasonable 40-something-year-old father would do. I turned around and I just walked out of the room. I walked down the stairs. I walked into the garage. I got in my car and I drove off. And about 10 minutes into my drive, I saw my phone pop up and she was calling me. And I answered. And here's what the middle schooler taught the 45-year-old that day. She said, Dad, I'm sorry I shouldn't have said what I said. That's not what I meant. But why did you walk away?
I need to know that our relationship is worth fighting for. Every kid in this room, every voice of every child that you hear needs to grow up in a church that has such a bigger story approach that they know you will never stop fighting for your relationship with them. And you may need to remind them from time to time. Every once in a while, you just need to lean in and go, hey, regardless of what happens with the pictures, I'm never going to stop fighting for my relationship with you. Some of you may need to text an adult son or daughter and just say, hey, I feel like somewhere along the way I stopped fighting, but I'm back in because there's a bigger story. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the name on the walls of this church that say to all of us, we can give the world a front row seat to grace. I pray for everyone in this room who might be sitting here holding broken pieces of a picture and that today they would decide it's not about the picture. It's about the story. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it and share it online or jump on the website at graceassembly.org and click the giving link so that we can continue to spread the message of Jesus all around the world. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next week.